All right, church family. Well, I hope your hearts are prepared for this. Um, Crystal and Alex, we love you guys. Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. And now we're going to turn and, and jump into the Word of God together. Um, I don't want to get lost in a lot of announcements, but, but really quick, I do just want to mention, if you'd mark your calendars two weeks from today, August 30th, we are going to gather for an outdoor worship service. We're going to meet once again at the Lord's Chapel. Um, it's the location where we met back at the end of May when we did another outdoor service. And so we want to invite you to come and participate with us. Mark your calendar for that day. Um, you can see in the e-bulletin this week more details um, about what to expect on that Sunday. But we're looking forward to it. Man, we miss you guys. We want to see you face to face. So I want to get that announcement out of the way. All right, now we're going to jump into the book of Jonah today. Um, I want to start by just sort of recapping briefly the story of Jonah. I think many of us are at least familiar with the fact that there was this guy Jonah, and then there was this big whale or fish that swallowed Jonah. And we know there's something in there, maybe a storm and a ship, and he's running away, and you know he makes it out. Um, he ends up on the dry land. But I want to get a little more in detail um, the story of Jonah today. And then I want to talk to you guys about kind of the context. You know, when did Jonah live? What was happening in his life and in his world during this story? And so that's where we're going to spend um, kind of the big chunk of our time this morning is really just looking at Jonah and his life. Um, when we move into the second half of this message, there's some things I, I want to point out. And I just want to say to you, I, I really believe... Um, I believe this always, but I really believe this morning that we might find ourselves somewhere in this story. I'm not saying we can all relate to every part of what Jonah's going through, but I want to encourage you. Would you just even now purpose in your heart to in invite God to just, just kind of prick your heart? If there's a little part of Jonah and what he's going through um, emotionally, what he goes through practically, kind of where his heart is at, if the Lord would just sort of prompt you if there's a part of this that might relate to where you're at. And my hope today is that God would speak to us about where we are and he would draw us deeper into who he is and who he's calling us to be. And so let, let him refine you if that is needed um, this morning. I also believe there's some stuff in this that really just applies to where we are as the church, kind of capital C, um, and where we're at um, and what we're going through during this season in our country. And so I really believe there's some big picture things in here for us, and I hope there's some very personal, practical things for us. And, and ultimately, what I hope we see in the story of Jonah is the heart of God, is the heart of God. And so that's where we're heading today. All right, so let's jump into this. Um, let me just recap the story. There's, there's four chapters in the book of Jonah. In my Bible, it only covers about three pages. It's a relatively quick story. Um, and so here's kind of the big main points of the story, all right? Chapter 1 opens up, and God is calling Jonah to leave his place in Israel and to go to Nineveh, to the city of Nineveh. It's a pagan city, and God wants him to go to them and call out their evil. He wants him to carry the message that God has seen the violence and the evil happening in Nineveh um, and that, that they're in trouble, that judgment's coming. And so God wants Jonah to go. Um, Jonah immediately runs the other direction. He goes to the port city of Joppa, and he boards a boat that's going to a place called Tarshish. Now, Nineveh, Joppa, Tarshish. 
We'll get back to those in a minute and talk about where they're at geographically. Um, but he boards this boat in Joppa and takes off on the Mediterranean Sea towards Tarshish. And so he's running away is really what's happening. He's running the opposite direction away from where God's called him to go. And the scripture even tells us he's running from the Lord's presence, um, which is absurd. We can't get away from the Lord's presence. But if you're like me, you know what it means to try to run away from the Lord's presence. There have been times in my life where I am kind of running from him. And even though he's right there and he's near, I'm, I'm holding him at arm's length. Um, and so that's what Jonah's doing. Well, he gets in this boat and trouble comes quickly. Um, a massive storm comes. God is trying to get Jonah's attention. And this storm threatens to break the ship apart. And during all the turmoil and the pandemonium on the boat, as the captain and all the, all the workers on the ship, they're freaking out. Um, they're throwing things overboard to try to lighten the ship. The scripture specifically says they're calling out to their different gods and they're looking um, for the cause of the problem. These are, these are veteran sail, um, sailors and they recognize that this is an unusual storm. And so they believe there's something more to it. Even in their lostness, it seems pretty clear from the story they don't know the God of the Bible. They don't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, but they recognize there's something bigger going on here. And so they're crying out to their different gods. They're looking for who to blame. In the middle of all this, Jonah is asleep. He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. They finally wake him up. And um, after much fear and discussion about what they're to do, Jonah kind of owns up to the fact, this is because of me. I'm running from God and it's because of me. And so they throw him overboard. He asks them to. And then it says at the end of chapter one that God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah and he's there for three days. All right. Now, this part of the story is probably the most familiar to us, especially if you grew up in, you know, kids class at church or you've watched a VeggieTales movie about it. Um, this part's familiar to us. Well, chapter two is all about Jonah's prayer. And I don't want to disparage him too much. Um, it's a heartfelt prayer. He, he cries out to God. He does much of what we would do when we find ourselves in trouble. Um, he's crying out for help in his distress. And I'm actually really grateful for his prayer in a lot of ways because, I mean, I can just relate to some of the things he's expressing. He's in despair. He feels like he's at the end of his rope. Um, he recognizes his life is in danger. It's kind of a woe is me prayer. Um, but now in his place of distress, which was brought on by his own actions, but in his place of distress, he begins to remember his God. And so he says specifically, I remembered God in my distress and I called out to him. Um, he even does a little bit of bargaining with God. You know, um, I don't want to overanalyze his prayer completely here. And I don't want to judge Jonah's heart, but I think from where we're going to see the story goes in a bit, that in actuality, it's kind of a half-hearted repentance. Um, he's kind of halfway repenting. He's also bargaining with God a little bit. I'll, I'll go do the thing I said I would do um, if you'll let me live. And so kind of at the end of chapter two, as Jonah has cried out to God, acknowledged the trouble he's in, done some repenting, done some bargaining, said, I'll do what you asked me to do. God has the fish vomit, vomit him out onto dry land. And so now Jonah has survived 
three days in the belly of this fish, and he's back on dry land. And so at the start of chapter three, it's like a reset to the story. Um, man, if nothing else, this is so relatable to me. You know, just, um, just those times where God calls me and he gets my attention, and then before I know it, I'm running the opposite direction, and I find myself in trouble and despair, and I cry out for his mercy. And in his mercy that's new every day, he gives us those resets. And so Jonah kind of gets a reset at the beginning of chapter 3. And God meets Jonah back where he started. Hey, this is what I asked you to do back here. Now I'm asking you to do this right here today. Same thing. Go to Nineveh and carry this message I asked you to carry. Now, I want to pause right here for just one second um, because we're not really going to get into this Later in the story, we're focusing on some other things. But I just, I want to pause and encourage you to to notice something, okay? This is a principle in our lives. When we find ourselves off track, when we've gotten off course, and we know there's a need to repent and to turn around, I want to encourage you, friends, many of us get stuck because the last thing we were asked to do by God, we didn't do. And we need to return back to that point and obey the last right thing that we heard. We need to practice that. Return back. Maybe I don't know what the future holds, but God, I remember that last thing you asked me to do, and I kind of ran from it. And so what I'm going to return right there. I'm going to seek your help. I'm going to repent from where I've run and hid from you. And now, Lord... I want to obey what you asked me to do. And so Jonah gets the reset, and this time he follows through. He travels to Nineveh now. And it tells us that it's about a three-day journey to canvas the entire city. And so day one, he starts, and he's preaching in Nineveh, and he's carrying this message that judgment is coming. And before day one even ends, the message is already spreading beyond Jonah. The people are hearing it, and the Scripture specifically says they believed God. So they didn't just take Jonah at his word. They really, truly believed this was a message from God. And they begin to repent. They fast. It gets all the way up to the king. And the king even of this city, of these great people, he repents and he declares for the whole city, all of us, we're going to fast. We're not going to eat or drink. We're not even going to feed or water our animals. We're going to do nothing except to repent and change our ways. And he calls on all the people to turn from their evil and their violent ways. And so as chapter 3 comes to a close, God sees that they turn from their evil way and he relents from bringing disaster. And so Jonah carried the message of coming judgment. The people hear it. They respond rightly. They repent and turn to God. And God offers mercy. Now, I think for many of us, um, the story that we've heard about Jonah kind of ends there. But there's one more chapter, and that's chapter 4. And um, if, we, if we haven't ever heard this before, it might surprise you. But when God brings mercy to Nineveh, the very people God called Jonah to go to to carry this message, Jonah doesn't celebrate that they've received mercy and grace. He gets angry. He's bitter. He's angry. He's frustrated. He even ultimately says, I, I wish I could just die. He knew God would have mercy on his enemies, and he never wanted his enemies to receive that mercy. 
It's an important thing to understand about this story. Jonah did not want his enemies to receive that mercy. And so he sits outside of the city now, and he's basically just having a pity party. He's mad, he's irritated, he's throwing a tantrum, and he's going to sit back and watch, and he's hoping maybe it doesn't stick. Maybe the people haven't truly repented, and judgment will come anyways. And so he sits outside the city, hoping to watch it be destroyed. And as he sits out there, the story wraps up with this really strange thing. He's sitting outside, and this plant quickly grows up and provides him some shade. And it's very clear God provided the plant. And so he sits in the shade. Well, the next day, a worm comes that God has also sent, and it eats and destroys the plant, and now his shade is gone. And then God sends a strong east wind, and the sun is scorching hot, and the wind is blowing, and Jonah is miserable and feeling faint, and he just says, man, I wish I could just die. And then God uses this as an opportunity to talk to Jonah, and he says, Jonah, you're heartbroken over this plant that grew and then withered, um, and now this east wind that's come. You did nothing to get that plant in the first place. You enjoyed its shade for a bit, and now you're mourning your own condition. How much more should I feel compassion for the people of Nineveh, this great city of 120,000 people and all their possessions, all their animals? How much more should I not have mercy on them? And so the story ends with God asking a question, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? All right, so that's our story this morning. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. This story of Jonah, I realize as we're reading through the Bible this year, sometimes we can sort of lose track of where we're at. And for for several weeks, we've been reading of the prophets who were either prophesying that Um, Babylonian captivity was coming, or they were prophesying to God's people in the midst of that captivity, and were even looking ahead to their return to Israel, okay? But with Jonah here, Jonah actually lives in the time before the exile. He's before, you know, Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, he's before those guys. And if you want to get a sense of the context, you can look up 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. He's actually mentioned there. He's living in the time when Israel has been split in two, okay? And so there's the the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel, and so they are in conflict with each other. And and he's living in this turmoil. He's living in the midst of this period of, of civil war and internal conflict. He's also living at a time when Israel, because he's in the northern kingdom, when Israel is in conflict with external enemies, specifically Assyria. Now, why does that matter this morning? Because Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. So these direct enemies of Israel, their capital city, that's where Jonah's being called to go. So I want you to picture this. He's living in an immensely difficult time. God's people are in turmoil. They're a mess internally with enemies internally because they're fighting with each other, externally with enemies that want to conquer them. Um, and, And ultimately, all of this is a result of Israel's rebellion. 
They've turned to other gods. They're not living the way God has called them to live. And so they have refused to repent despite many prophetic warnings. And in this context, God's saying, leave your place and your people and go to your enemy and warn them that they may repent. And so God sends Jonah to their enemy. Now to give you some geography here, all right? Joppa, when, when Jonah is called to go to Nineveh, instead he flees to Joppa. Joppa is right on, um, it's in Israel, and it's right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's in present-day Tel Aviv. Um, it's, it's now the city of Jaffa, um, and it's this port city right on the Mediterranean Sea. Kind of back then, it would have been known as Jerusalem's port. It's about 30 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And so it was this key uh, town. And so he goes there looking for a ship, a merchant ship. And so he finds one that's going to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was a merchant port most widely known for fine metals. In fact, if you think back to Solomon, when he was acquiring all of his wealth and he was purchasing things from all over the place to furnish out his own palace and to furnish out um, the house of God as he was building the temple, um, Tarshish is one of the places that he received materials. And so Jonah literally goes the opposite direction. He goes northwest to Joppa and then sails out on the Mediterranean Sea to Tarshish. Well, Nineveh, on the other hand, is northeast of Jerusalem, very far northeast in what is now modern-day Iraq, northern Iraq, right on the Tigris River. And so that just kind of gives you a sense of sort of the context and the geography. Now, what, what can we get from this story? Um, I, I want to do two things mainly this morning, okay? I want to encourage you to consider Jonah's heart. And in the context of looking at Jonah and some of the turmoil he's in and what he's feeling, I just want to encourage you to consider where, where your heart might be. Is there anything the Lord might want to highlight as it relates to this? And so Jonah's world's in turmoil. Internally, his country that he's a part of is in turmoil. There's external enemies. Um, and there's this real sense that things aren't going to get any better. And in the midst of that, God's saying, I want you to go to your enemies and warn them. And man, Jonah's just not feeling it. He's not feeling it. He doesn't, he's, he's wrapped up in what's happening in his world around him. And he's miserable. I mean, if you were just to look at Jonah from kind of a mental health standpoint, his emotional well-being, and, and look through these four chapters, man, he is, he is miserable. He's, he's running from his God. Um, he's frustrated and doesn't care about his enemies and doesn't want to help them. Um, he's caught up kind of in his own, own world. He's like oblivious to the storm that's happening on the ship. Um, an entire city gets saved from the wrath of God. And he's irritated that his shade is gone. And so, man, he's just a real guy with real struggles and he's emotional and he, he feels more what's real to him personally as opposed to having kind of a bigger vision for what God is up to and what God wants to do in the world and through his life. And so look at a couple of things here, all right? First of all, simply Jonah runs from God, all right? Chapter 1, verse 3, Jonah runs from God. We see that. 
Not only does he run from God, he's, he's resisting God's call to participate in the life God has for him. See, Jonah has a purpose, and God is up to something, and he's up to something good. He wants to call out something that is broken and wrong, and he wants to bring about change. That's God's heart, and he's inviting Jonah to participate in that. But Jonah is so wrapped up in seeing Nineveh as an enemy that he doesn't even recognize the fact that if his enemy were to change, maybe that would actually affect some of his own circumstances. He can't even see it from, from that selfish viewpoint. Maybe my life will get better if things get better for my enemy. He can't even see that. He can't see God's heart for this, so he runs. He's, he's in opposition to what God's up to. Um, verses 4 through 6, we get a picture. This is Jonah chapter 1 now. I want to read this. After he's run away, we see this storm rise up. And I want you to get a sense of this. Verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Friends, not only is Jonah running from God, he is asleep to the fact that the disaster that is happening on this ship is because of him. Now, now listen, I, I want you to consider this a little bit. I believe a big part of the problem in our country right now is that the church is asleep to the problems that have been of our making. I'm going to get into a little more deal, detail of that in just a minute. But, but Jonah is so wrapped up in his own frustrations, his own unhappiness. He doesn't like where things are heading. And so he gets on this boat going the opposite direction. And the fact that he is asleep to the problems that he has caused and what, what God is trying to do to get his attention, it's now harming other people. And this ship is actually threatening to break apart. So he's asleep to the trouble he's brought upon many. Friends, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own frustrations with life um, and our own difficulties that, that we become blind to the fact that we're actually hurting other people um, because we're kind of asleep at the wheel. Because we're, we, all we can see is just what's right here. And God, God wants to open our eyes and say, hey, wake up, wake up. Maybe this trouble is actually here to get your attention. But he's asleep at the wheel. Um, another thing I recognize here that I think is important for us to just be conscious of that we can struggle with. Um, in Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 and verse 7. So Jonah's now in the belly of the whale and things are, things are bad, okay? He's been thrown overboard. The fish has swallowed him, you know, and he's just inside this large animal probably feeling like this is it. Like, I'm just going to suffocate and die down here. Um, and as he's in the belly of the fish, here's some of his prayers. 
This is verses 1 and 2 and then verse 7. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Verse 7, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Now, a couple things we see here are good, okay? It's right that we should call out to God when we're in trouble. Absolutely. It's also encouraging to see that that he's recognizing, even while he's still in trouble, he knows God hears him. And he believes God is going to rescue him and bring salvation. That's good. Let's cry out to God when when we're in trouble. Let's recognize that he hears us when we're in trouble and he rescues us. That's all good. But friends, I I just have to note the fact that Jonah is crying out to God when he's dealing with the consequences of his own failures. And friends, I I believe that far too many of us reserve our conversations with God for those moments when we're in total despair. Our, Our relationship with the Lord, our conversations with the Lord, our time with Him are minimal at best when life is okay. But suddenly, when we've gotten ourselves into a lot of trouble, suddenly we become these great praying people who recognize we need help and we cry out to God for help. Listen, we should know that we can go to God when we need help. But friends, may that not be the only time that we talk to Him. Let's not wait till we're in trouble and despair to cry out to Him. What about faithfully following Him daily? You know, we just looked at, at Daniel last week, this faithfully devoted guy who was committed to spending time with the Lord, committed to being in prayer, both declaring to God where he was and what he needed, asking for help, but he also listened and received from the Lord directions to follow, um, wisdom, guidance. He received strength from God. Let's live like that. Let's not wait till we're in the worst possible circumstances to then suddenly go, hey God, you up there? Help me out. I'm in trouble. Let's watch out for that. All right. Last kind of thing I want to hone in on here, looking at Jonah's heart and where he's at. Um, I want to read Jonah 3.10, the last verse of chapter 3, and then the first verse of chapter 4, verse 1, okay? This is after Jonah has carried the message that judgment is coming And it's after the people of Nineveh have repented. They've responded to that message. Watch his reaction to this. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah is angry that his enemies received mercy. Friends, do do we have the ability as the people of God, when life is hard, when we are struggling, and we see even our enemies, people that think differently than us, live differently than us, make different choices and decisions than we do, when we see mercy on their life, grace on their life, does that make us angry and frustrated with God? 
Or are we able to rejoice with those who rejoice? You know, we talk a lot about that, that verse that says, mourn with those who mourn. And we recognize that it's right to do that. Are we able to rejoice with those who rejoice when our life is tough? Jonah's sitting here going, my own people are in turmoil. We're in civil war. Life's a mess back home. My heart is frustrated with God. My people are refusing to turn to God. But we're the people of God. I'm the prophet of God. And yet I'm miserable. And the enemies of God, they've heard this message of grace and they responded to it and God's given them mercy and Jonah is frustrated. Friends, are we able to extend the same grace to others that we hope to receive? That's the real question. Listen, Jonah is so frustrated that his enemies have received grace while his life is still difficult. Look at, look at what he says here. He's not just angry. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He, he is so frustrated at his own circumstances. And so he goes outside of the city now to just have this pity party. And so he's outside the city. He's mad. He refuses to participate. Um, and now the joy that is present because of God's mercy, because he's just in inner turmoil. And so he goes outside the city. He plops down. He's pouting. And then what really gets him upset is the whole story about the plant that grew and then the worm ate it and then the sun came. And in all of that, um, he just, he reaches another point where he's wrapped up in his own self-pity and he, for the second time, uses this phrase, I just want to die. Um, This is now Jonah chapter four, the second half of verse eight. And he's talking to God and it says, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Verse nine, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. (laughs) I don't know about you. I feel that. Like Like I feel that. Yeah, I do well to be angry. Yeah, my life's miserable. I've been inside the belly of a fish. Back home, everything is a mess. You know, these obnoxious people who've been causing all the problems and attacking us, I deliver one message for one day and you give them mercy. And now I'm here outside in the hot, scorching sun, shriveling away. Yeah, I have every right to be angry. I just want to die. Man, I can so relate to that. He's just wrapped up in his own misery. And there's just that stubborn, like, yeah, I have every right to be angry. Um, man, that just kind of stubbornness that we can get, it's, it's so relatable. I've watched this in the lives of my kids before. We had this really funny moment this summer. Um, my wife and I were out running some errands. And so all our kids were at home and our, our older kids were watching our younger kids. And my daughter, Abby, She's in the swimming pool, and one of those, those summer thunderstorms starts to roll in. It's not quite at the house yet, but you hear it coming. It's getting dark outside. They're even noticing like the flash of lightning, and so everybody's scrambling to get out of the pool, and Abby is just refusing to get out of the pool. I mean, she's just sitting there stubbornly like, I'm not going out. Now, this is the same kid when she's in the house and there's a storm coming. 
She's freaking out and crying, wants to jump into bed with mom and dad. But now she's in the pool and wants to stay in the pool and she's refusing to get out. So she's like crossing her arms and the girls go, they look at her, my older girls look at her and go, Abby, there's lightning. Aren't you afraid of the lightning? Come get out of the pool. And she crosses her arms and goes, I love lightning. (laughs) Just stubbornly refuses to acknowledge where she's in and that she needs some help. She just crosses her arms. Friends, I can relate to that. Listen, I don't share this about Jonah to rat on him. Um, man, he's, he's a man of God. He's, he's carried on in the scripture here. He did bring the message of hope to Nineveh, but he's struggling and there's, there's turmoil in his own heart. He's angry. I, I think you can make the case he's depressed. He's frustrated. Um, and he's, he's just wrapped up in the pain that he is experiencing. And see, he's unable to see that the God of grace that's extended this grace for Nineveh, he's failing to see that that same God is the one who's with him, who is talking to him, and who, who wants to shine grace into Jonah's life. But he can't see it. He can't receive it. And so, friends, I just want to encourage you. Let's, let's be careful of the condition of our hearts as the people of God and where we might be. All right. One last thing I want to get into for a few minutes together here. I want to move from considering Jonah's heart to considering Jonah's location. And I want to encourage you to consider where are you? All right. As the the story unfolds, um, the first thing that we see about Jonah and his location is that he's headed the wrong direction. He's headed the wrong direction. He's supposed to be preaching in Nineveh, and instead he's asleep in the ship. He's heading the wrong direction. That's the problem. Where's he heading? Well, he's on a boat that he doesn't belong in with a bunch of people who are, who are out for the pursuit of wealth. They're out for their own gain. And he's aboard a ship with a bunch of people who are not even aligned with each other. They all believe in different gods. And then over the course of their time on this ship, when disaster strikes the whole ship, and the ship is threatened to break apart, what's transpiring? Every person is looking to their own God and their own way of solving the problem. Additionally, every person on the boat is now looking for who to blame. Whose fault is it that it's all falling apart? And Jonah is on board this ship he should not be on, and he is asleep to the very problems he has caused. Friends, I I just have to say to you, many of us as believers in the American church, we're riding on this American ship heading the wrong direction, living for the wrong purposes. I'm not following God. I'm not going to the people he's called me to. Instead, I'm on a ship with a bunch of other people who are heading in a different direction than I'm supposed to be heading. And you know what's inevitable? When disaster strikes a ship like that where no one is aligned, everyone begins to pull in different directions to try to solve the problem. And everybody turns to their own gods and their own ideology and then starts looking around for who to blame. And that's exactly what happens on this ship. And and Jonah shouldn't be there. Friends, 
too many of us have our aim wrong. The reality is we're supposed to be preaching to a people that are different from us. We're supposed to be in Nineveh telling the people who are enemies of God that there's trouble coming and that there's grace available. We're supposed to be in that city, not of that city. But instead, Jonah has aligned himself with where this boat is heading, and it's heading in the wrong direction. And he's pursuing his own aims instead of following what God has called him to do. And so Jonah's heading in the wrong direction. Um, The second problem here is he's carrying the wrong message. Jonah is carrying around a self-focused grace. I said this earlier, friends, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves wanting and expecting grace that we're unwilling to extend to other people. Listen, when Jonah does finally wake up and start talking to the people on the boat, at first he's oblivious to the problems that he's caused. He's aligned with a boat he shouldn't be on. But then when he does wake up, he has this like kind of arrogant demeanor where he's like, well, my God's the right God. And yet Jonah is the one running from that God. (laughs) Friends, this is a huge problem for us as the church. We can just sort of be oblivious to all that's breaking apart and the disaster around us and just sort of be closed off to it and just asleep. Like, I'm just going to try to mind my own business, arrange for my own well-being, and not worry about this ship that's sinking that I'm on. And then some of us do wake up to the problems, and we see what's broken around us, and we have the arrogance to just say, well, my God's the right God, and your God's the wrong God. Tough luck. And, And all the while, ignoring the fact that we have not aligned ourselves with the God who has called us to carry the message of grace to those who are in trouble. And so we're in the wrong direction, head in the wrong direction, and if we're not careful, we're carrying the wrong message. Listen, if we won't extend grace to others, how can we expect to receive it for ourselves? Now, I need to warn, there is just as possible an equal and opposite problem. And if we're going to get on Jonah in negative ways, we got to highlight what he's done rightly. Friends, another huge part of the problem when we're carrying the wrong message, when we've been wrapped up in a self-focused grace, some of us carry a self-focused grace to Nineveh. Here's what I mean by that. We want grace that just pats us on the back and says everything's okay and nothing really needs to change and it's not our fault and that's not the message of grace. Jonah was in the wrong being on that ship. Nineveh was in the wrong. They were, it was an evil city filled with violence. And the message that God told Jonah to carry was not, hey guys, you're all going to be okay. Grace and love, you're good. The message he was told to carry is, You have been wrong and there's coming judgment. And when the people of the city were confronted with the truth, they were unable to receive grace. 
Friends, far too many people in the church today are telling folks on the sinking ship that the ship isn't sinking, that nothing's wrong. No one's willing to look at the people on this ship and say, that's a false God right there that you're looking to. You're angry and you're mad and you're blaming this person over here, or you're blaming that situation over there, or you're looking to false ideologies. The simple truth is we all are wrong. We're wrong and we need to repent and we need to turn back to God and receive grace. And so we need to speak truth and grace. See, this is the reality. God sent Jonah with that message. He didn't want Jonah to lie to Nineveh. He wanted, him to, them to, he wanted Jonah to tell Nineveh the truth. The scripture describes Jesus as full of grace and truth. Jesus is a perfect reflection of the Heavenly Father. And we see in this story a picture of a God who is full of grace and truth. I want to wrap up by just kind of pointing out a couple of things here and reading a couple of verses about our God. Consider God's heart. Consider God's heart. He sends Jonah to call out evil and declare coming judgment. You can see that in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, in Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, and then down in Jonah chapter 3 verse 4. The message Jonah was carrying is that judgment was coming because of evil and brokenness. Equally, not only does God carry that message of truth, God extends mercy and grace where there is true repentance. Go back and look at Jonah 3.10. We read it earlier. When the people turned from their evil and their violence, God relented from bringing disaster. See, the reality of who God is, of what's in his heart, Jonah knew it all along. Jonah describes God this way in chapter 4, verse 2. And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew God's heart. He's a God who speaks truth to people and that we need him and we need to turn back to him. And he's a God of mercy and grace with abounding love. And friends, the way the story of Jonah ends, you know, it's, it's not really ultimately a story about a ship that's sinking and a fish that swallows Jonah and, and all this other stuff. The real message of Jonah is a question that God asks. He ends the book of Jonah with a question. And friends, I want you to consider this in light of Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 15, when he told the story of two sons that were both lost in different ways. The prodigal that had run from the father and the elder brother who had stayed home, whose heart was distant from the father. And Jesus ends that parable with a question mark. The father is explaining his heart for the broken prodigal that has returned. And he's inviting the elder brother to join him in extending grace. God ends this same story, or this story of Jonah in the same way. The last two verses, Jonah chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As Jonah's 
whining and complaining about the plant that has died and, and is frustrated about that, God says to him, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came to being in one night and perished in one night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Friends, God invites His kids to understand true grace. He wants us to receive it for ourselves, and He wants us to share it with others. In closing this morning, I want you to consider Jesus. As He says about Himself, He's one greater than Jonah. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41. He compares himself to Jonah. And he says, I'm the one who's buried for three days. I'm the one who will be risen back to life. And I'm the one who's going to carry the message of grace, the good news of the gospel, that we need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He carries that message of grace and he opens it up to the nations, to the very enemies of God. Friends, we are Nineveh. We are the ones that grace has been extended to. Will we hear and receive God's message of grace into our lives? And then as the people of God, will we be willing to be sent like Jonah to the places we may not want to go? Are we willing to extend grace to the people that irritate us, that think differently than us, that are our enemies? They even seem to be the ones that are causing this ship to be crashing. Those are the very ones we're called to. We're called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Friends, I want to pray for you this morning. And then I've got some questions that are in my notes that I would encourage you to ponder. Um, if you want to go ahead and kind of close your eyes and just prepare your hearts to pray with me, I'm just going to read these questions and then, and then pray. And I, I want to encourage you to consider them. Are you on the wrong ship? Are you asleep as it prepares to break apart? Are you just one more voice amongst a bunch of voices declaring, here's my God, here's my God. Who's to blame for the problems we're, fa we're facing? Will we hear God's heart for our enemies? Are we absorbed in our own selfish pursuits, riding in a ship where we don't belong? Have we responded to grace and truth? Will we carry that message of grace and truth? Will we hear God's heart for our enemies and join Him in extending grace? Heavenly Father, I, I pray that we could see you and your heart for this world. Lord, sometimes I fear when we say this world, um, we miss the individual persons in it. But God, you see every life. You care about every life. Lord, you numbered the people in Nineveh. You cared about them. You cared about 
their livelihood. You cared about their animals even. You saw their violence. You saw their evil. You didn't say it was okay, and you didn't celebrate it. You looked for someone who would speak up, who would carry the message of truth for the purpose of inviting people to receive your grace. Lord, as as we struggle, as we go through the difficulty and turmoils of this life, as we go through seasons that don't feel like they are very filled with grace, Lord, I I pray that we could see you ever-present with us. And Lord, that we would be willing to be challenged, God, in our own hearts to extend grace to those in need. Lord, may we begin to see our enemies with the same eyes that you do. God, would we be able to give away the same grace that we long to receive? Lord, would you break off any false gospels that are in our heart, God's self-focused gospels that just look for our own selfish needs to be met instead of the real gospel message, which is turning to you to see who you are, to see what you are calling us to. God, may we be people of grace and truth in our own lives, and may we carry the message of grace and truth to a world in need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Bless you, friends. I'll see you soon. Y'all have a great week.